Thank you, Brenda and Nancy, for that beautiful song to prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus is Lord of all. You will put your Son to reign over this earth one day, and we shall reign with him. Thank you, Lord, for that blessed promise, that blessed hope. And Father, may we keep this in mind as we open your word once again. Speak and we will listen, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John 5. And today we are concluding our series in 1 John. It's been a long journey, uh, a great study. But now we're going to conclude the letter that John wrote to the churches here. And uh, throughout his letter, John would refer to the believers, those who were reading his letter, he'd call them little children. And he uses that phrase at the last verse, verse 21 there. And we'll, we'll cover that later, but it says, he writes, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Little children. Those of you who have been a parent or a teacher, and you had your kids, and, you know, you, you start the lesson, they're all attentive, right? And then all of a sudden, what happens when about a half hour goes by? Yep. Are they paying attention like they were in the beginning? Not usually. So what do you have to do sometimes? Children, pay attention. You know, you have to get their attention. And basically, this is what John is doing at the end of this letter. He's saying, little children, pay attention to what I've got to say in these closing comments to you. And we're going to pick it up at verse 16. Let's read 16 and 17. John writes, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, when we come to this passage, uh, it is one of those passages uh, that has people scratching their head, trying to figure out, John, what are you talking about? What is he talking about? This sin leading to death, sin not leading to death, and, and it can get so confusing, and there's been much debate in trying to interpret this. And there are, there are different views uh, that have been taken up on what is the sin leading to death, this, or the sins leading to death. Well, apparently John knew uh, that his writers were aware of whatever that sin that would lead to death is, okay? And the question is, and, and the debate has been over the word death there too, not only what kind of sin, but the word death. Does that mean physical death or does that mean et eternal death in hell? Okay. 
Well, as we look at it in context, um, I, I agree with those who take the view of this when it's speaking of death, that it is, it is physical death he is talking about. Physical death that God uh, would allow in a believer's life because of a sin that is, it has brought such shame to his name and they continue in it and they have not dealt with it and sometimes God has to take them home early. And that's, that's my understanding of this passage here when he's, he talks about death. Notice verse 16. What does he say in the beginning? He says, if anyone sees his, what's the next word? Brother. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, there's the key right there. Brother. That means, if he uses that term, he's talking about one Christian seeing sin in another Christian's life that they're committing. It may be uh, continual, uh, but, but, but they're involved in some sin, and, and you're concerned about them. So notice he, John isn't saying, go around and anybody who is sick or, or, you know, or dying, anything like that, uh, well, we, we know that they sinned. God, God's, God's punishing them. And it's so easy to, uh, for people to get that view of God. You know, that was sometimes the Old Testament view, that anyone that, that disobeyed God's commandments, well, he was going to zap them. And, he, and we do read that in the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, John is pointing out sin, a sin in a believer's life that uh, can lead to death and not lead to death. Okay, but I think the key here is brother. So we know that he's talking about a Christian here who we see sinning. We don't just guess, but you actually see it so that you have evidence of it. But then what does he say? He says, if you see your brother sinning, a sin not leading to death. And again, he must know that his readers understand what he's talking about, a sin not leading to death. He shall ask, and God will for him, the one who's sinning, give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. Now again, this is so confusing. And then the rest of that verse, there is a sin leading to death. There's a serious sin where God says, um, don't even bother praying for this individual because they have sinned so greatly that I'm going to take them early. I'm going to take them home early. And then John says, I do not say that you should make a request for this. Again, this can be, you know, mind boggling, this whole thing. But let's simplify it. Because as I look at this passage in this verse, what jumps out to me and what I want to share as an encouragement to us today because uh, you know nobody likes the you know to come to the church and and just you know it's all about judgment for sin and you know pounding the pulpit and you're all sinners and and 
and, and you come away feeling so guilty because we all feel guilty when we bring up sin. We're all sinners saved by grace, and we, we still commit sin. But when J- J- John here is talking about a sin, <clears throat> what is he saying? If you see a brother commit sin, what are we to do? Go up to him and go, what's wrong with you? You're so bad. You know, I, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. Look, what you, look at the sin you're committing. No, what does he say? Let him ask. Let him ask of God. What does that mean? John is saying, Christian, brother in Christ, if you see another believer, someone in the family of God who is struggling with sin in their life, what are we to do about it? We're to pray. We are to pray for that person. Pray that the Lord would spare their life so that he would not bring uh, chastisement, severe chastisement on them so that they might, uh, you know, leave this earth too soon. But pray for them that God would forgive and God would be compassionate in his dealing with that child. I believe that the key here is the emphasis is on prayer. The emphasis is on prayer. Now, we have examples of, in the New Testament, of sin that has led to death. Okay, so turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Let's go over to Acts 5. And we're just going to touch on this briefly here. But Acts 5, verses 1. Acts 5, 1. Here is the, the account of Ananias and Sapphira. So let's read beginning of verse 1 together. Acts 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias and his wife sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Okay, so here, before we read any further, Peter calls out Ananias. And the deal was, they sold some property, and they acted like they were bringing all the proceeds, the money that they got as, a, as an offering to the Lord, and laid it at, at Peter's feet. But... They kept some back. They wanted everybody to think, whoa, they sold that big property and look, they gave all that to the church. That's that's tremendous. But they kept some for themselves when they had promised they would give it all. And so they were lying. Peter says, you know, you're not lying to me or any man. You just lied to God when you said we'll give it all our, our money for the sale of the property to God. And so God considers this very, very serious when we are dealing with with 
things that we commit to God, whether it be finances or other things, and we actually uh, pretend, you know, we make it look like to other people like we're doing something for God when we really are, are doing it for ourselves. And look what happened here. This is how serious it was. Verse 5. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, last breath. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. You know, if she had come clean and confessed, I don't think she, God would have taken her. But look at this, verse 9. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have carried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last breath. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. That's a difficult story to read. You're saying, how, how could God do that? Well, God is merciful but God is also our Heavenly Father who will discipline His children. Now, there are some people who think that Ananias and Sapphira were not believers. But I, I tend to lean with those that believe that they were truly saved and that God was taking them early from the earth because of this sin. So here's a picture of God you know, taking someone early, and so physical death came because of that sin. It was a sin that led to death, as John was talking about. But I want you to, but I want to focus on uh, one other thing. Uh, you know, some people, we, we think that, well, it, 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 if they sinned and they're sick or things bad are happening to them, uh, you know, they definitely have sin in their life. You know, just like Job's friends said, come on, come clean, Job. You know there's sin in your life. That's why God is punishing you. See, that's the picture. Sometimes we get and look at people and we should not. Turn to John chapter 9. Let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 9. Look what Jesus has to say about a certain situation concerning a man who was blind. John 9, verse 1. And here the Lord Jesus is going to make it clear about this particular man. And you see, again, Old Testament view was if someone was born blind, born deaf, uh, either this person sinned or their parents sinned. So look at verse 1, John 9. And as he passed by, 
He saw the man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Do you see what the disciples are thinking? Uh, this is punishment. This guy is blind because of some sin he committed or uh, he was going to commit or his parents committed. But I love Jesus' answer here. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you see that? Do you see this tremendous truth that Jesus is, is, is uh, bringing forth? He's saying, this man is not blind because of some sin he committed or some sin that his parents committed. He was brought into this world blind for a purpose. God had an ultimate purpose for this, this man's affliction. And it's not because of his sin, but it's that God would be glorified. And in this instance, how was God glorified? God brought healing through Jesus to this man and received his sight. But we should take this and realize that when, that it's, when, when we're afflicted or you see a, a, someone in the church who, who suddenly something terrible has happened to, uh, you know, and it may be cancer, maybe other things. And, you know, we cannot run to the conclusion or assume that, oh, there's sin in their life. No, you see, Jesus was pointing this man out and said, this man will glorify me. And what the Lord wants from us as his church is to be able to suffer for the glory of God. Suffer for the glory of God. And that's what we're seeing among our people. I look at Jan Samoyer and Dave. And here they get the news, cancer. The only way we can save your life, the doctor said, is Jan, we've got to take your leg off. And hopefully it, that will be the end of it. But we still got to do checkups. But you know, to get that news. And here... You say, why, Lord? And they're, I'm sure they're asking, Lord, why? Well, if you watch them and listen to them, they are praising the Lord in the midst of it all. Why? They're praising the Lord that there was something that could be done that could perhaps save her life, the amputation of the leg. And so they suddenly look at it as a positive thing rather than the negative that would put you in a depression and, and, and bring you so low and, and begin to question, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done that, that you would punish me in this way? No, I see that situation like many others in our church, that God desires to glorify himself through Jan and Dave. If you talk to them, you think you're coming to try and encourage their heart, you'll come away encouraged. They have not lost their joy in the Lord. Their focus is upon him and his purpose and plan. 
And they're saying, thank you, Lord, that I might be cancer-free because of this. Rather than, oh, well, how am I going to live the rest of my life without my leg? What an example. And so this is, I I, want to drive this home, that uh, don't judge someone because of the suffering they're going through. But John says, if you see someone sinning, okay, then go pray for them. And I think many times we... We fail to pray for one another when we see someone struggling with sin, don't we? Where they're, they're, they're going through a tough time and we know, we see that they, they, they're sinning. We are to pray for them. Turn back to uh, 1 John chapter 5 here. If we go back to 1 John. I want you to, again, when you look at this passage... Not focus so much on what is a sin that leads to death and what sin does not lead to death, but focus on the fact that John is saying, pray for them. Pray for your brothers and sisters who are sinning or dealing with sin that you have seen. Pray for them that the Lord would be merciful to them and they wouldn't have an Ananias and Sapphira experience. And so... We go on here and look at the end of verse, look at verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. So he adds that in conclusion here. But again, I think we need to remember the first truth here. Pray for one another. Whether there's sin in their life, whether they are hurting, whether they're suffering... We need to continue to pray. And that's what I love about our, our, uh, our prayer chain. We, we are such a praying church. Our people just go to the Lord in prayer as soon as they hear the need, as soon as the word is sent out. Uh, and we've seen God answer in different ways, sometimes with healing, sometimes he says, wait a while, sometimes he says, no. But here we come now to verse 18. Look with, me, look with me at verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins. Whoa, now let's stop right there. If you read, just read that. And John's saying, well, we, we know. So this is something we should all know and know as a truth. That no one who is born of God sins. When you read that, you're going, uh-oh, I sinned yesterday. Uh, that must mean I'm not saved. Because he's saying, uh, uh, one who's born again is not going to sin, right? The way you read that. But here is where it is so important to go to the original Greek. And to try and understand what John is saying. Because on the surface, you're going, well, I'm going to hell. I'm not, I'm not you know, I know I sinned today. And, and, and it says, you know, if I'm born of God, I'm not going to sin. Well, this idea of sin in the Greek has the idea of sin that is a lifestyle. Sin that is ongoing. Sin in a person's life that is, uh, they are practicing it. That it is part of their life. Maybe they said they're a Christian. 
Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but their life has never shown one bit of evidence, and they are living directly in sin, completely without any worry about what God thinks or anyone else thinks, then he's basically, John is basically saying, it's the one who lives in a sinful lifestyle and doesn't care. Pretty much that, you, that will give you a sign that perhaps this person is not born again, okay? So that's what that word sin means. It doesn't mean just one little sin that we might commit on, on it, on, uh, you know, in, in, in our life day by day. So understand that. So he's talking about habitual sin. So we know that a Christian cannot live, he's basically saying a Christian cannot live in a sinful lifestyle without changing or confessing that sin or turning around, re- repenting of it. But he, he goes on, but he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. And the evil one does not touch him. This is a wonderful word of encouragement from John. Now, when you read, but he who was born of God keeps him. Okay, that can be a little confusing, but I want you to understand that, but the word he there, but he who was born of God, it's not talking about a Christian there, but it's actually talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, capital H. But so you could put in there, but Jesus Christ, who was born of God, keeps him. Now that him is an unbeliever. I, I'm sorry, is a is a believer, is a Christian. Okay. So, but Jesus Christ, who was born of God, keeps the believer, the child of God, and the evil one does not touch him. Now. New American Standard Version has the word keeps him. But it's also the word guard is used as well. That that Jesus Christ keeps or guards the believer from the enemy, the evil one. Uh, If you have a King James Version, it says the wicked one instead of the evil one. But this is speaking directly of Satan himself. But I love this. If you are a believer today, guess what? Jesus is guarding you and keeping you from Satan and, and, and uh, being able to do to you uh, extremely terrible things. And the, the, the key word is, is after this. He says, but he, Jesus, who was born of God, keeps him a believer, and the evil one does not touch him. In other words, he's saying Satan won't touch the believer. Now you're going, well, wait a minute. What about Job? What, uh, what about the attacks? What about Paul, who, who writes in, in Ephesians 6 that we're, we are to put on the armor of God because the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil come against us, right? And the arrows of the devil, Satan comes against us. So how, how can he say that, that the, uh, Jesus keeps us so that the evil one, Satan, doesn't touch us? Here again, it's, uh, we go back to the original Greek. 
for the word touch. Okay? The word touch here is not like, oh, I just touched you. Okay. Or just, you know, putting your hand on someone's shoulder and touching them in the way we think of the word touch. But in the Greek, the original word means stronger than a touch. It actually means to grasp or to lay hold of tightly. So understand the word touch means Jesus, he is saying, Jesus is keeping you in such a way that he will not let Satan grab you and, 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 and do whatever he wants to you and, and cling to you. There is one other place that John uses this verb in the Greek, and that is in the Gospel of John. When he had risen from the dead, you remember Mary saw Jesus and she was weeping in the garden and she ran up and grabbed him. And Jesus said this. He said, Mary, stop what? Clinging to me, clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. The word clinging there is the same word he's using for touch here. It's a tight grasp. And thank you, Lord, that you and I as believers today cannot be clung to by Satan. Oh, he, can, he is allowed to, uh, you know, use a guerrilla warfare on you and me as believers he can, but only with God's permission, he will attack us from the outside. He'll attack our minds with thoughts. He'll, he'll try and tempt us to sin. But he cannot grab us and hold us down and say, I've got you. Be, why? Because I've been born of God. In this sense, John is saying, Satan can't touch you, dear Christian. Take this home with you. Take this to heart today. Then we look now, so understand this, and then look at verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the whole world lies in the power of Satan, but we do not, because we are the power of Christ in us. We are born again, and so there is victory for us against, against the enemy against sin. And then now John concludes, and we know that the Son of Man has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So he concludes by once again Notice he's using that word no, gnosis in the Greek, which means no by experience. We know that, and, and it's an assurance, we know that the Son of God has come. And what? He's given us understanding in order what? That we might know him, Jesus, who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. What is John basically closing with? He's going back to the, the idea of fellowship with the Lord. 
Fellowship with the Lord Jesus, abiding in Christ. That's what he's talking about, that I may know him, that we might know him more and more. And every day, as you husbands and wives, as you uh, remember the day you got married, how much did you know about your husband or your wife? You were doing a lot of guessing, weren't you? But then as the years went on, right, you began to know each other more and more. You began to know the deep secrets, the mind, the, the things that they love, the things that they don't love. And you get to know each other over time, over years. That's the way it is with the Lord Jesus. If I am not communing with my Lord Jesus on a daily basis, where I'm walking with him, I'm walking in the spirit, and I'm, I'm speaking to the Lord, and, and I take time to spend uh, listening to him through his word, and then taking time to pray. That's the only way I am going to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will grow closer to me. It's that fellowship is so important. And then, of course, he ends with that one little, he just throws this in at the end. Little children, guard yourself from idols. And that could be a whole sermon in itself. Because we know what the idols are, right, in our life that, that will come in and, and try and, and steal our worship, steal our attention, our, our uh, putting God first, putting the Lord Jesus first in our life, and something takes his place. He's just warning the believer. But in closing here, the key I want you to take home with is praying for one another. And just turn to Job 42.8, okay? Job 42.8. And here, Job has gone through all the suffering. He's gone through all the suffering. And now he's talked to God. And now God is going to deal with his three friends who treated him the wrong way and spoke on God's behalf, but it was not correct. So look at verse 8. This is what God is saying. Actually, look at verse 7. And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. Because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. You see, all the while, Job, though he was frustrated and didn't know why God allowed this, the words that came out of Job's mouth were the right words that God wanted to hear. So in the midst of his suffering, he was, Job was actually glorifying God. But, look at, but God says, you three friends... Uh, it, Look, look, look at verse 8. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for your servant, for yourselves. And here it is. And my servant Job will what? Pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly. Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Do you see what we're reading here? Exactly what John was talking about. Pray for the ones 
the brothers and sisters who have sinned or are struggling with sin in their life or have fallen, pray for them that the Lord would be merciful to them and restore them. And he might use you and me to restore them. Would we leave here seeking to know him better and to pray for others, pray for others that the Lord may be merciful and strengthen and heal and restore. And when we pray for others, God will begin to do work in our own heart that will glorify him. Let's pray together. With heads still bowed right now and eyes closed. Dear Christian, perhaps the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning and you realize that you really haven't been praying for others like you should, other believers. We so many times are concerned about praying for ourselves that we forget those who are hurting, those who may be dealing with sin in their life and we've seen the sin. Let us say, Lord, now, help me to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And may I begin today. Would you do that, Christian? And commit then to knowing the Lord Jesus more intimately by abiding in him. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to accept him by faith. If you never trusted Jesus to save you, but you understand he died on the cross in your place and took your sins upon himself and the punishment you deserve. And you believe that simple truth that Jesus is the son of God and he will give you everlasting life if you believe in him. Would you trust him now? Just pray a simple prayer like this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner today and I am sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart. Wash my sins away. And I receive you today as my very own Savior. Oh, thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again. You are a child of God. We welcome you to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. And Father, I pray that we might be prayer warriors. And Father, we might spend more time in your presence through the study of your word and, and our quiet time. And then praying for one another. Thank you, Father the word you've spoken to our hearts this day and we will give you all the glory and praise as we ask this in Jesus name amen amen